The Game Schooler Podcast is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover some Game Schooler news, Pandemic, our recommended game of the week, discuss competency-based education and board game themes in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with the High Five Challenge. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How you doing, Doug? I am fantastic. Excellent. A L- little bit of a slouch. I haven't played any games this week. Hey, you and me both. I just <laughs> played one. We played one match of Azul. That's it. Okay. Um, it, that one just stays right next to our, our supper table or dinner table, depending on the part of the country that you come from. But it, it just sits on our little area there next to a few of the magazines that we have out and it comes to the table make coasters out of them no not yet out of the (laughs) the factories yeah the little pieces no but people are catching on it's a nice little game although i do have a follow-up from last week yeah i uh was so embarrassed that i got that chess (laughs) chess thing back uh wrong checkers and chess no no i said that you have to capture the queen yeah so i've been watching the queen's gambit on netflix oh how is it I'm enjoying it. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Good. It's very fascinating. Awesome. So, hey, some other introductory banter along the lines of you can't make this stuff up. Another um, deer sighting? Well, as I was driving through Main Street in our small little burg, I thought a deer was running, but it was worse. Guess what? What would be worse than a deer running across the road? Skunk. A dog. Mm. And fortunately, there was a light post, and the dog stopped to smell what dogs smell on light posts. So I was feeling really fortunate about that. And then that that roundabout, and I know this makes for great radio, right, as I'm describing my three-mile commute. But the the first roundabout, I, I looked to my left because I'm stopped, and there is a Chevy Volt. Yes, I'm calling them out on podcast, not in real time. A Chevy Volt directly on my left. This person had to drive up on the roundabout. Mm. I'm like, how do you not see me stopped here? And there's a car in front of me. And I'm looking over and I thought, well, at least I have some content for the podcast tonight. Yeah. It's like when you see him going in the opposite direction. <laughs> on the interstate. No, 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 on the roundabout. On the roundabout. Yeah, that's like, also oh, you bad. Can't, you can't make a left-hand turn there like that, yeah. sir. You need to go all the way around the circle. Yeah, we've seen that a time or two, haven't we? Speaking of deer, I don't know if you saw it on the way over the uh there's a subdivision going up near mm-hmm. where i live and there is a, a house that just got their lawn put in and there is a dead deer that just dropped dead right in the middle of their backyard that's not good fertilizer Doug. no and i just imagine them waking up in the morning be like ah why is there a dead <laughs> dead deer in my backyard all right folks it's wisconsin it's deer hunting season but we'll we'll digress and get back into some board games yeah I mean, but this is live we're yeah we're just <laughs> this won't be coming out several weeks from now it is deer hunting season all the way through february well it is yeah i mean sometimes you can kill them with a gun yeah other not times, official season other time no these are this is real look it up other times you can kill them with a bow and arrow. Yeah. I believe there's also a crossbow. And bare hand season. Then they have, yeah, bare hand season where a spork is allowed. Yeah. I uh, participate in that. Yeah. I, I went Wrestle. to school in northern Wisconsin in high school. And uh, my freshman year, I was the only boy in the freshman class who did not deer hunt. Can you believe that? I, Maybe we should cut that out of here. I, um, you're probably going to leave it in, though. I will. Yep. All right. So, Do you hunt, Doug? I do not. You just hunt board games? Yes. Got a, <laughs> yeah, I hunt for a, deals. A cabinet full of me. <laughs> That's and, true. And bargains. When Toys R Us went out of business, man, my board game collection went up because of you. Well, you were getting great deals. There you go. All right. I, I miss them dearly. All right. Anything else we need pun? to <laughs> anything else we need to, to get to? We neither of us played games. 
Um, all right, let's move along. Let's get to the recommended game of the week, shall we? You betcha. Late breaking news. Michael wants to talk about more stuff. Cancel I, that close that outro. I do. Let's talk about what's in the workshop. I, other things that make for great radio. What what have I been working on? What do you see over here? What do you notice on my face? A little smudge. Working little smudge on a mustache. I- we have subject builders that are going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing now because you got it. Wyatt Earp, ladies and gentlemen. This man has the world's greatest mustache. Now, you're gonna my put family him, You're going to put him in front of Raleigh Fingers? In front of Raleigh Fingers. My family owned a video store growing up. And so when, when Tombstone, Wyatt, or those movies came out in the early, mid-90s, and, and the, the, the video store, Big Top Video, had long been sold. But I love those westerns. Unforgiven is one of my top ten films. And... The mustaches in the movie don't do justice to what these guys had in real life. In doing research, I, I couldn't believe it was real. I mean, <laughs> I spent about 12 minutes on different image searches, doing advanced search, look, getting into archives of museums, and my mustache envy, it, it grew. So I'm going to grow a mustache like Wyatt Earp. All right. Well, I'm sure Emily will be happy about that. She, does she know that's happening? No, I think she thinks this will go away after a month or so. She's so naive. The the commitment level, she's anything but naive. Um, She may choke the the air right out of my lungs if I really do decide to keep this, you know, because months three and four. Don't do this if you're driving right now, but if you're at home doing the dishes, just do a quick Google image search of Wyatt Earp's mustache, and uh, you can see that that's what I'm growing, and that's what's in the workshop. All right. Sounds good. Well, we'll follow its progress as the weeks go on. All right, now we'll get to the recommended game of the week. This segment is sponsored by Funny Cars, a skill builder for Ticket to Ride First Journey. Have you ever heard a train that's far away and thought about what it was carrying? Have you ever been riding in a car when a train goes by and wondered what's inside that train? In this skill builder, your little gamers fill their own train cars. This skill builder is for grades two to four and teaches children creativity, confidence, and group discussion skills. What are you waiting for? Find out what's in those trains already. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is a heavy hitter, Pandemic, by Z-Man Games. So according to the publisher, uh, this is their description of it. As skilled members of a disease, disease, as skilled members of a disease fighting team, you and the other players work together to keep the world safe from outbreaks and epidemics. Only through teamwork will you have a chance to find a cure. Pandemic is a cooperative board game in which players work as a team to treat infections around the world while gathering resources for cures. First published in 2007, the game's unique combination of cooperative gameplay, engrossing premise, and compelling design have proved a hit with everyone from hardcore gamers to casual players. So that's according to the publishers. Pretty uh, good description. Yeah, they did. They knocked it out of the park there. The only other thing, let's see, how do you play the game? Basically, there are four diseases that are spreading. The The game board is a map of the world. These diseases are spreading from uh, location to location. You are trying to get samples of those diseases to then find a cure. Along the way, you're treating the diseases. The interesting thing is that the game is playing against you, so uh, you're flipping over infection cards, which bring new diseases out on to the board. And then eventually you're going to get uh, an epidemic card. And what that does is it takes all the cards that you've flipped over, puts them right back on top of the deck. So those cities that were infected before are going to keep getting reinfected and spreading more and more as the game goes along. Uh, it's a classic game. If you're on the game side of this podcast, you probably know about this game. Yep, if you're on the education side, you may not. And so... Hopefully you'll get an introduction to that here. So what are some of your favorite parts of the game? 
I really like how it brings people of different gaming levels and abilities to the table in an accessible manner. So if somebody has played a ton of games, they can help and be the teacher or the leader as a cooperative game. It's also a phenomenal introduction to to games. Uh, the the other thing is, you know, it might take an hour to an hour and a half. Time stands still in pandemic. It is a game that when I play it, it flies. If I'm playing it with two people or four people, I seem to get very engrossed and engaged, and that says a lot about it. How about you, Doug? Well, that was one of the the things that I wrote down as a that I thought might come up as a potential nitpick uh, is the length of the game. Mm. But I don't have a problem with that. No. And what I what I think of this game is is this is an entree game. All right, you have your your yeah. starters and your sides. This is a game that you're sitting down and that's your game of the night. If you can fit other stuff in, great, but like you said, it's going to be an hour hour and a half and maybe less if you get destroyed because the, <laughs> the cards come out bad. Yeah. But to me it's one of those that yeah, maybe it goes a little bit longer than an hour and you know, we're not we know that families don't have a bunch of time to spend 2-3 hours playing a board game. So we try to stay away from those those lengths of games, but this one, if it does stretch over an hour, I think it's worth it. I do too. So the, some of the things that I liked on this one is, to me, the the turns are always gratifying. Mm-hmm. There, A lot of times you have cooperative games, and just games in general, that sometimes you have a turn that you're like, eh, didn't do much in that. This one, I always feel like you're making progress, you're doing something, that feels rewarding. Yeah, similarly to our, our game last episode, Horrified, on, on a player's turn, they have Last four... week we talked about Villainous, but go ahead. We haven't talked about Horrified le- yet? We did, but Am not I last of week. Order? Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Oh, man, the fun just runs together. Thanks for completely destroying my uh, yeah, thought but... where I was going. You could tell that there's something quality coming out and just had to <laughs> smash that to smithereens. But here's the thing. On your turn, you have four different actions that you get to take. And within your actions, there are a lot of choices. And so to your point about always feeling like you have to do something, you're doing a lot on your turn. And that's where that that new gamer can really get some help from experienced gamers, but also has that agency to, hey, I'm going to do this. I want to go take care of this disease. I want to contain this disease. No, I think we need to get the scientist over to Madrid. I think we better do this. And that type of interaction is built right into the turn. Yeah, one of the things that I like about it is this is one of the few games that I feel like consistently has exciting moments Mm. in it where you're wondering what card is going to get flipped over. You're trying to do the best you can to prevent bad stuff from happening. But it seems like almost every game it comes down to, you're, you're getting down to final cards, and it's like, as long as Paris doesn't come out, we can win. And it's it, there's a lot of those moments where you're standing up waiting for that to come out, and when it does, it's, it's awesome. And I, I feel like that's... Missing in a lot of games, but it yeah. certainly is here. Yeah, I when I've won this game, I really feel like I accomplished something. Like, I, I feel like, oh man, did I just run five miles for the first time? Did did I just complete you know a, an all time high of push ups? No, we won in pandemic. It yeah. really has that team feeling. Yeah, that's and, built in. Well, and it's a good feeling. I have this as another thing is is the feel of of spreading doom and and putting out fires, which, which mat- matches the theme great. And I, I like that. Like it, it's not kicking you in the shins. Teeth. Yeah. <laughs> the shins, the teeth, any, your arm, any other body part. You get kicked in your arm once in a while. My kids are restless. Um, but it feels it's a, it's a good balance. You don't feel like you're getting destroyed, but there is that, flare-up that keeps talking. I mean, obviously we're in a pandemic right now and they talk about second waves and things like that. That happens in this game where you think you've got got the fire put out and then all of a sudden Chicago's flaring up again. Yeah, and 
what stood out to me from the description first published in 2007. And there aren't many games that really stand the test of time that 15 years later, it's, it's still a good game. Yeah. Um, and still, still on shelves, big box shelves. Big box. Yep. You know, so, uh, the only nitpick I have, unless you've got more things that you're, you're a fan of. Nope. Nope. The only nitpick that I have is I, this is one of those we've talked about alpha gaming in the past. This yep. is one that, um, uh, can can have that happen. Um, if you're aware of it, you can help uh, squash that before it becomes a problem. But it is one where if you're very familiar with the game and you understand how the mechanisms work and how you can manipulate the levers, you're going to have an advantage in the overall strategy that sometimes can come across as telling everybody else what to do. Yeah. So if you, you know, Michael said it's a great game for helping new players. You but you ha- have to let them make choices. Yeah, and you have to be a, a guiding hand, not yeah. not an authoritarian telling them, well, you're an idiot, we're going to lose if you do that. Yeah, you no, know, that's so, good. So making sure that you're you're guiding that along properly. You have any others? No, that's my only one. I have two quick nitpicks. One, in playtesting some of our skill builders, the feedback that we got back from... Uh, just a world changer, a high-performing educator who, who's a, a gamer and, and a father. He said the game took a long time, and although you know Doug and I have already talked about that, I think that's something that you just have to be conscious of. And my my feedback to to this person, who's also a friend of mine, is you'll sit down and watch a three-hour movie with you, with your kids and not have a problem. So it's a great rainy day game, a, a snow day game. You're, you're, you're inside, and we want to do something without the screen. I do think that Pandemic is a perfect unplugged afternoon game. Uh, but y- you have to be aware of that because if it's after dinner on a Tuesday night and you just want to get a game in before you put the kids to bed, this probably isn't the best one. The other nitpick, it's strictly anecdotal. And so please, Doug, go ahead and blast me on it. Ready? But for some reason, not everybody likes Pandemic. I happen to love this game. But the when I've played it with people, and we, we push away from the table, and, I, and I'm excited, oh, what'd you think? We were down to, oh, wasn't it cool? And I'm just really excited. There's usually one person out of the three or four that has the meh. And I can't put my thumb on it, and I don't know why. But that, that has happened a few times when I've played this game, that somebody will push away from the table with a, eh, it was okay. So those are my two nitpicks. One, I have some data. The other one, it's really just from playing a few times. Well, and that happens with, can happen with any game, yeah. too. Um, but I, I know what you're saying, because I've had that experience, too. And I'm not sure what that what that is, yeah. if, it's a, if it's a game thing. Or, you know, sometimes I attribute it to the times that it's popped up for me is, uh, sometimes it's a length thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's an alpha gaming thing. And the other thing, which I I did, this is one of the things that I like, but I think it might be a component that people don't like, is there is a puzzly aspect oh, yes. to this game. And sometimes I think people just don't want to engage in that. And I think that might be one of the turnoffs for this game is like, eh. oh, I, I love that though. I, I love it too, but I think that is catches some people that they're like, I don't want to think that much. And the, the board, the, the game board is just a wonderful world map. Like you, you've never seen where everything is connected with straight neon lines and, and the background. And if it's not neon, that's what it is in my brain. And I like and they're all different colors too. <laughs> I like how is it Tokyo connects with San Francisco? Which city? Could on be. one side of the world connects with a city on the other side of the world. I I like how all that fits together and yeah. thinking those moves. When we talked about having four moves, you, you can get from San Francisco to New York, but that's all you can do. So you're going to have to rely on the person next to you to do something after that. Uh, I really like that part of the game. Um, we say that a lot of these games have skills inherently in them that you you know you and your family are going to to learn and practice as you play them just by playing the game. We have skill builders, we have subject builders, but these you're getting them whether you know it or not. Yeah. And folks, I want to let you know we've arm wrestled over these. Uh for those of you who don't know, Doug is a huge wrestling fan. 
So no, I did not get a ladder cracked over my skull or a chair to my back. But Pandemic is a game that we have thoroughly discussed and broken down in the past. So I am excited to see where these skills go because I'm predicting we're either going to be completely aligned or there could be some shouting and it sounds like a morning sports radio show. Doug, what do you got? Pretty much left it wide open there. (laughs) Way to not commit. I think we're going to have good crossover. Okay. All right. So my, I'll, I'll go first. I've got uh, first one I have on my list is teamwork, and there's a game that promotes collaborative effort of a group to achieve a common goal in the most efficient and effective way possible. This game very much relies on, you know, we were just talking about that puzzle aspect. This game relies on doing yeah. it efficiently, using your turns wisely. If you do not, you will get destroyed. So you need to work together. Yeah, no, I, I, that's spot on. I don't have it on my list, mm, but it's, mm, it's definitely mm. in there. <laughs> All right, bro, conflict management. No, Tell me you don't have that? No, and I disagree, but give me uh, your explanation. Okay, you, you disagree okay. without even hearing I know. I my said, stance? I, yeah, I want, let me hear your stance. Okay, frenemy. Let's say we've got some virus. Well, that, let, let the listeners know what the... The definition, our definition of conflict management is. Oh, thank you, Doug. Thanks for backing me up <laughs> and directing me to my script. So conflict management is a game that allows students to identify and handle conflicts sensibly, reasonably, and efficiently. And this is where I can't tell if you were just using your sarcastic wit to say that it's not in there or if it truly is in there. Where, where I see conflict management in the game is when... People disagree about what the next course of action should be. And if you've ever played a game with teenagers, that's a cooperative game. Not always teenagers, but siblings, for crying out loud. You play a game with siblings, and there's going to be some conflict management. And it's not always the the oldest child is going to get their way. Sometimes the middle child actually knows what the next best course of action is. And Pandemic has that tension integrated into the game where those four actions are, are are limiting. It's a great constraint. It's a phenomenal game mechanic that allows you to do some things, but not all things. You can do all things, just not all at once. So that's where I have conflict management as one of my top skills. All right. I'll 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 go along with it. it oh you'll allow it. Yeah you I'll, edit I'll it allow out I'll, no. this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh I can I can see it, although part part of me is I don't feel like I've ever had anything get too contentious that I feel like it's a it's a real conflict. However, I do have problem solving, mm-hmm. which I think is is my version of what what I pull out of that. I I feel like you're not so much having conflict that you're trying to resolve. I think that you're solving the problems and and having a well i'm just going to go right into the next one a group discussion about it hold on pause though yeah just yep. to belabor my point a little bit on conflict management you talked in your first one you used the word efficiently correct yeah, yeah. correct yeah and, and that's where that's also in the definition of conflict management so you can't go too hard against conflict i'm management. not i'm, I'm saying okay. it's in the same wheelhouse i just have not encountered it okay. i've not gotten to a point where i consider this as a conflict and that might just be in my own gameplay experience, but I haven't gotten to a point where I'm like, me and you are playing it, and we both d- disagree yeah. on how to solve whatever problem is going on that we need to figure out how we're going to do it. Ultimately, I get to a point where we may have a disagreement, but it's your turn, so do what you want. It's okay. it's your turn. But So just to, to backtrack here, problem solving, a game that develops a student's skill to find solutions for difficult and complex issues and a group discussion, a game that instigates the sharing of ideas, the solving of problems, and providing feedback within a group. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at teamwork, problem solving, and group discussion, those things are all hand-in-hand going together uh, as three out out of my five. Tell me more about problem solving because I, I had that as, as a number one. Not that we rank these in that type of order, but I – I have problem solving is my number one for this game. So explain how you see that. How I see it? Yeah. It's figuring out 
<laughs> I want to talk about it and use another one of, of my skills that I've got on the list, which is risk management. Okay. Is you're trying to figure out which which cities may be coming out of the deck to infect and, and have uh what do they call that when it when it outbreak? Yeah, 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 I guess an outbreak. Outbreak in the real world sense, not an outbreak in the real game. Well, kind of, kind of interchangeable there. But when there's a flare up, you yeah. know, when is something going to come back out and, and cause us problems based on what we know and what we don't know? Um, and so you're trying to say, well, should I take a cube off of here and a cube off, you know, disease off of two spots or more off of one? And what can we do to keep this whole thing from exploding? So there's a risk management, and there are definitely times where you're saying, I think we need to do this, and I hope it works out. Yeah, we define risk management as a game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. And I think, folks, what you're hearing, Pandemic has a lot of business skills that are, are really layered into this game in a way that not many other board games that we have talked about here have. E- even other cooperative games, they don't have the level and, and the depth of the skills that are, are presented. And I think part of that has to do with the seriousness of the theme. I mean, the, the world is at risk, you know, and we cannot let this outbreak get past Madrid. Because if it gets past Madrid and it bumps into the rest of Europe, we're in big trouble. And so that's that's where that risk management is really in there. And, and as Doug has talked about, are we going to go eradicate uh, one of the viruses? Or are we just going to contain it so that we can continue to contain in other parts of, of the map? Yeah, that's that's a good one. Well, and you want to talk about a timely timely theme yeah. You know, this is oh, fitting, on, fitting into exactly what's going on in the world. And I know that some people, uh, you know, this is not a, this is a serious issue, you know, yeah. and some people might not be comfortable playing a game like this at a time like that. And that's understandable. Yeah. And it's one, but of it's the, a good teaching tool yeah, that's, um, in, in this area. Yeah. That, and that, that's absolutely where I was going to head with it. And we're, uh, we're not trying to make light of this at all. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is what had us dive into this game when everything was locked down and we were FaceTiming each other from a whopping three miles away, breaking down the game and talking about how it works and putting things together. Um, This is an opportunity to show how, how viruses move throughout the world and um, I, where I wanted to go, I didn't want to do a hard sell on it because I, I felt kind of sleazy doing it. Um, but we do have... Well, you'd a, look sleazy uh, doing it, it with, uh, with, with that the mustache. mustache. Hey, man. <laughs> um, Does that come with the van, too? <laughs> easy. We, uh, 2010 Kia Sedona. Um, we have a series of skill builders where we've tried to delicately and sensitively teach about different viruses and outbreaks and pandemics that have occurred throughout human history. Um, And not to just say that and put it out there and jump back into a different skill, but another skill that there there are two that go hand in hand, but they're slightly different, and they're both on the nose, and that's cooperation and collaboration. And the differences between the two, cooperation is a game that encourages students to work together toward a common goal. You've got to get rid of the virus, whereas collaboration challenges students to work together to produce or create something new. I disagree with that one. How are you going to disagree with that one? What are you creating new? The game changes every single time. But you're not creating anything. You're not creating any... Creating is is we're working together to build something. What about Pandemic Legacy? How would you know? You haven't played it. I know. I want to play it. You don't think collaboration is in this game? No, not as a strong, not as a and top that's five. I, I disagree. I think every I mean, time I think you play this game, you're creating something new. Every time you play, it's a different game. It unfolds differently. And I could tell by the way you're looking at me like I'm copping out and every game would be 
collaboration. But I agree. Then, if, <laughs> then that is. Every game is collaboration. If no. I'm putting cards down on the table, uh, yes, I'm building a new tableau the of cards. Theme, the theme with the cooperative game has this be a collaborative skill. This, we're gonna fight about this forever because I feel like we've been we've been talking about I, it since March. I, I know I, cooperative and collaborative are two very different things, and I don't. Think I agree they go, with that. They go hand in hand. I agree with that. In this game, they are both present. They are both present. You cannot. Go, you're cringing. <laughs> you're cringe. You're looking at me like I'm a fool. Oh man! All right, there's that morning sports talk. We're we're gonna just pause on that. No, and, go um, go go. Express your point. Every time, and we've talked about it in the other skills that are present. Every time this game is played, there are different outcomes that are created. And where I was going to go with it, it's based on the character that you have. If I have the scientist, and you have the contingency planner, or the risk management er person. That game unfolds differently, and something new is created. It's a same. It's similar with some video games that that have that open concept. When you play it, it's different from time yeah, but, to time. Yeah, but being different is not building something new. Just because it's different and it changes doesn't mean it's you're building something new. I mean, that would be every variable setup game. Like Catan, you're not building something just because the game board is different every time. Oh, Catan's the same thing every time. Pand- pandemic is different. No, it's the same game. The construct is the same. The virus unfolds in a different way every time you play it. Yeah, and but, how you're you not, but you're it. not building the, the way the virus changes. Okay, when you play Pandemic, do you have a plan? Do you have a game plan? And does your game plan change? All right, as, I, now as the game I will changes. allow that. I was actually going to say the only thing that you're building is a game plan. Well, thank you. So you're building something new every time. That's called a game plan, and that's where we have collaboration. <laughs> Flimsy. <laughs> Flimsy, but true. <laughs> Flimsy. All right. Um, Go do on. you have any skills left, or did you I got bundle one. them all? Go no, ahead. I got one left. Bring it. Resilience. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Tell them. Is this on your list? No. All right. I wish it were. Tell them. A game that teaches students how to quickly recover and cope with difficulties. So with those cards getting flipped over every turn, it's not going your way. You know, people always joke in, in uh, cooperative games that, uh, all right, I got to do bad first, or you got yeah. to do the bad stuff. And this is a game that it's happening all the time, and you need to adapt to it. So you need to be resistant, because even though you just knocked off Three disease cubes from Hong Kong. Guess what? That card's getting flipped out again sometime soon, and there's going to be more cubes on Hong Kong. And so the way that it can stretch out, you need to, you cannot let that get you down. And this is a good game that that teaches you not to shut down. No, that's absolutely true. I'm going to take back one of my skills. I think is um, it collaboration? Yeah, (laughs) resilience is absolutely higher than collaboration. You want to talk about flimsy, man? That was. That was um, very, very politically savvy. Um, I have one other skill that I'd like to see you try to disagree with it. Persuasion. This, and it's another one of those business skills, a game in which students are encouraged to convince others through reasoning. If I really want to do something because my heart is telling me it's what I want to do, and maybe I just want to have that feeling of eradicating a disease, boom, I just did that. Doug, sitting across the table, can use his powers of persuasion to say, but wouldn't it be better for the greater good if you instead built that research center there so that we could be further ahead? And it's a level of sophistication that is not in a lot of other cooperative games. Uh, In other cooperative games, even some of the ones that we've mentioned here, it's pretty much, no, I'm right you're not, so do it what I said. And that's where we get into that classic alpha gamer. It's not about being right. It's about being most right. It's like when you have those nightmarish multiple choice answers where it's A, B, A, or B, A and B, but not C. You know, like, do you ever have those tests uh, in My college? brain just exploded. Yeah, yeah. 
um, the persuasion that's in this game is is nuanced, and I think it's also ongoing and it builds throughout the game. All right. Well, there you get. That's your last one, right? That's my fifth one. Yeah, I yeah. just had one other quick disclaimer with with pandemic. Sure. I wanted to, to throw it in here after the skills, and I'm really talking to our our teachers and any any folks out there who are running the homeschool resource centers. We, we've been very grateful to hear from you guys and appreciate the support and shout outs. You may be hesitant to bring pandemic into your classroom. And I totally get that and understand. And you have to trust your gut. But what I am saying is, I think there's a way to sensitively and and with sophistication put out one of those letters to parents and say, hey, this is what we're doing next week, Friday. And, and have it be a choice. Run a station where pandemic is at a table. And before students get to it, teach them about one of the, um, I don't want to say user skill builder because that again I'm selling, but I believe that strongly in our pandemic products and our pandemic line. We we built them so that they can be used in the classroom by educators, by librarians, and so whether you're you're in a homeschool environment or if you're in a middle school or high school, um, we we really do feel that this is a game that can be used. Um, to explain and to teach some of the events that we are all living through and could still be done sensitively. My only disclaimer is don't just throw it at kids. <laughs> don't be <laughs> that teacher where Thursday night got nothing to do. I heard this podcast last week. I'm just going to go throw it at the kids on Friday. Don't do that. That was the other part of the disclaimer. <laughs> Please don't do that. Um, so I, I did just so, want to put all so that So be a better there. teacher. Yeah, be a better <laughs> teacher <laughs> than that. Write your letter and send it out a week at a time. Boom, 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 boom. The more you know. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the school of gaming. Da, 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 da. This segment is brought to you by Trail by Rail, a skill builder for Ticket to Ride. Did the player who won the longest route bonus card in the game actually build the longest rail in miles? Students will review basic math processes and learn to use map applications with the help of this 16-page guide. Your gamers will also have the chance to explore how train travel has advanced through the years. This skill builder is for grades 3 to 5 and teaches healthy competition, spatial perception, and problem-solving skills. And don't forget geography and arithmetic. So the question is, did you really have the longest route? In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about board game themes and competency-based education. That's a mouthful. All right, so I'm going to start with uh, board game themes. So this is a kind of a confusing word is themes yes it is that we you know and and this is a gamers that are listening to this know exactly what i'm talking about this is for uh the educating side that may not be familiar with tabletop games people say game board game theme a lot the theme mm -hmm. of the game what it should really kind of be is the subject of the game yeah theme refers to what the game is about so for example colt express is about bandits in the american west Pandemic is about global pandemic. So that is the theme of the game, is the American West. That's the setting, the subject, where we're at. I'm going to go one step further and say that it needs to be set in, the, in a world with connections to gameplay. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it's not just a subject, but it has to have some sort of connection to the gameplay. My point on this would be chess has knights, kings, and queens. But there's nothing thematic to what you're doing on the way that a knight moves across the board to knights in real life. You're redeeming yourself from last yeah, week. Yeah, well, I've been studying that queen's gambit. I know everything. <laughs> Pawn to rook four, b6. Yeah, no, look at you. I got, I, no, no, I just made that up. Doug's going to be in the park playing chess. <laughs> yeah. So there's a game that it's about a subject, and I'm using air quotes, but there's, there's no tie-in to what you're actually doing in the game. 
So are you saying the theme is the genre, or are you saying something different? I'm saying it starts out with it needs to be the the subject of the game, but one step further, it's the world that it's set in with thematic ties to gameplay. Because there's a lot of games that, for example, have a, a theme, Azul has a theme, and that one man, maybe is not a good example because there is thematic tie into what you're doing in the game and what the theme is about, which is about mm-hmm. building tile art. Um, but a, a chess is just a really good example. I'm trying to think, looking at, at games, of what another example of something where it's where it's in that world, and it's like, oh, we're a lot of times it's in, in these. I'm going to lead into my next point, which is, are there games without theme? Okay, there's, and there's two kinds. My one example would be something like Yahtzee, which is just a dice game that's not saying that the dice are anything else. You're not a special person. You're not in a world. You're just rolling dice. There's also the next step, which is, or another type of themeless game, which sometimes have, quote, theme on them, but these are like abstract strategy games. So you're talking about chess and Go and Mahjong, things like that that are strategy games, but there's nothing you're Dominoes. not Yeah, you're not in a world. Even though sometimes those things are labeled as if they are in a world. All right, so I know what it isn't. What what is it? I, I'm a little lost here, man. What okay. what's what's board game themes? I'm talking about it as the subject of the game that has ties to the gameplay. Got it. Is is my my definition. So for example, I'm looking at a game that's a back to the future theme. It's only a back to the future theme if it has ties to the gameplay. You need to be doing things that are about back to the future in the game. Um like trying to punch Biff in the nose. Yeah, exactly. Good. You know, so if it doesn't have that and it's like if it's got Biff and Marty McFly but we're moving on a board with no relevance to what it is. Yeah, technically it's the the theme of Back to the Future, but I don't really I don't really count that to me. So, so I'm going you, out on my limb and and making my own advanced definition of of theme. And how different is this from what other gamers and people in the board game industry talk about when they refer to theme? I think that they would just say what the game is about or what okay. the the subject matter of the game and you're saying that you, your extra layer is that it ties to the gameplay. In some way. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then there's only one part that I also wanted to add to that, which is the concept of you'll hear uh, that a game was rethemed or reskinned. And so that's where you're taking We've talked about that. The, the same game and just putting a different subject on it, a different theme. You know, so there's the Harry Potter card game the Hogwarts battle that they changed the theme into a toy story theme and released a different game. Yeah. And it's essentially the, the mechanisms of the game are the exact same or very close, but the artwork is different. What you're doing, you know, the, the goals and objectives that you're trying to accomplish may be a little bit different. It's a very weird, weird subject theme. And I I almost think everybody kind of has their own, own definition of, of what it means to them. But when we're talking about theme, we're talking about the subject matter of a game. I think in order for something to really have a theme, it needs to the tie into the to the game, the gameplay. But a lot of times you'll see games that are are rethemed. Yeah, that's outstanding. And I'm I'm learning here with you folks. I mean that that's a little bit more nuanced than what I thought I was walking into tonight, especially that extra tie into to the game. So that's good. It's helpful, Doug. All right. So what do, you, what do you know about uh, competency? Well, competency-based <laughs> education, largely, um, and not to make a whole bunch of incompetency jokes here, um, I want to take a step back. And in this school of gaming, I'm actually, my target audience is our educators, and, and to the teachers in the car on their way to work or, or, or coming home from work or out when you're walking a dog or a child, um, hopefully one is in a leash, one is in a stroller, and get your dog out of the stroller. Um, what is a credit? I want to start right there. And whether you're an elementary school teacher, middle school, or especially a high school teacher, can you tell me what a credit is? 
and where that system comes from. And why do we still have it? So I just want to start off by framing a couple of questions. And you just, you, and, and then I feel like you just made a whole bunch of people angry. That that's fine, but that's <laughs> now I'm I'm going to do some healing and some hope work here. Just <laughs> stay with me, man. I got the microphone going. Uh, the credit comes from the Carnegie system, all right, and it's over a hundred years old. And what what ended up happening was some people got some free education, and, and they they had to quantify it. And how it was quantified, it ended up breaking down into a credit is 120 hours. And for those of us who went to college, you might remember thinking like, oh yeah, do you remember reading on the syllabus that the expectation was to do three hours of homework for every one hour of in-class time? What? That's ridiculous. Well, that's where you get your 120 credits or 120 credit hours, 120 hours per credit from. And so that system from higher ed has really made its way down through the years and galvanized itself into the foundation of public, private, and independent schools. And and most high schools, not all, but most or many high schools operate on that Carnegie credit system. There's a different way to approach assessment. And this isn't something that I made up. This isn't something that's even new. And in a competency-based education model or competency-based learning model, I want you to take for a second that, that you're a business owner. And let's say that, all right, Doug, imaginary time, baker, barber, or welder. I was going for a third B for alliteration, but which small business do you want to own right now? In today's current climate? No, in imaginary a, times. A baker. You're a baker. Yes. Doug, Doug owns a bakery. Mm-hmm. So, And Doug, I'm going to spell it with like the baker shop, but it's going to have two P's and then an E at the end. <laughs> Doug has thought about this, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So, Ye old shop. D- Doug's children end up going to um, community school, university here to get their culinary arts degree, and they grew up in this bakery they grew up in a family bakery. What do they have that other peers may not have? A metric ton of life experience and skills. So now Doug's child steps into that school and can ace all of the tests because they already have their credit hours fulfilled. They have met all the competencies. So why would they need to invest time, money, and, and talent that has already been developed just to get a credential? And in a competency-based system, oftentimes people are able to test out or test in. And so that that's the model. And if you were to just Google competency-based learning, a lot of it, guys, what will come up is online colleges that are trying to sell people a degree who already have some credits. So I'm really asking you to look a layer deeper. And there are several different programs out there, especially in the high school world, that are trying to reimagine the transcript and how can we take the work that students are doing and build off their passion and build off their engagement to have a transcript that isn't necessarily tied to sitting and getting. So in a competency-based uh, education or, or learning model, and I'm getting a little long-winded, I know it, but I'm, I'm really trying to put the bookend on place-based learning and project-based learning and some of the, the STEM work that we've done in the past, well, that's great to have all those learning models, but how is it assessed and how is it credentialed? Well, a competency-based learning system does that. Think of a badge system with the scouts. That's the last place I really wanted to go with this is that it's not new. It's just newer in K-12. And even starting about a dozen years ago, I don't know if you remember the folks at Mozilla and Firefox, but they they really started to try to do a badge system, a digital badge system that schools would be able to integrate to knock out and to represent, okay, which competencies do you have? You have creative writing, you have chemistry, and can we build a little badge for that and do it? And so that's that's my note for the School of Gaming. I'm going to review the audio, and if I made mistakes, I'll come back with a cleaner version uh, especially with those credit hours. I think I got most of that right. But if not, please uh, leave a review. Let me know.
All right. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting because I I think when I think about some of that stuff, I always think of it being tied to a grade, you know, right. and the idea of a badge is is an an interesting thing that kind of works in in what we're doing. That it's you could play pandemic forty times and you, and you're learning a bunch of things that doesn't necessarily translate to an an A or a B. Right. It's certainly a badge. Well, and in the bakery example, your child may step in as proficient, but maybe proficient isn't what they want. Maybe they need to have that four or advanced so they can go on to the next level for their culinary degree. Maybe they want to get into French cuisine or whatever. I'm making stuff up here that I don't know what I'm talking about, obviously. But there, there is usually a leveling up system in that competency framework because the learning never ends. Well, and sometimes it's, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's the idea of just because you know how how to do something doesn't mean you know why you're doing it. Correct. Which I think would be would, would come into that territory as well. So that is the School of Gaming for this week, and we will be right back with the High Five Challenge. The High Five Challenge is brought to you by Exploring Ancient Wonders, a subject builder for Seven Wonders. Subject builders are a perfect tie into any game and provide valuable context before playing. From the pharaohs to Alexander the Great, historic leaders commissioned wonders, and ancient civilizations built a wide variety of magnificent structures. The board game Seven Wonders highlights the historic, must-see sites that shaped Western culture. In Exploring Ancient Wonders, gamers explore the pyramids, bronze statues, temples, and monuments that comprise the seven wonders of the ancient world. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you are anything like us, you are constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. To quote my friend Doug, he always tells me, I don't care what you spend your money on when I go to him (laughs) for a stack of new games. Well, each week... For the High Five Challenge, Doug shares a top five list of family-friendly games, and I choose the topic. All right, so so what's this this week's topic, Michael? This week's topic is the best games at big box stores not previously mentioned on a High Five Challenge. All right, so... I'm pushing here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there's still some, uh, some meat on this bone, however... Once this goes on the website, people are going to think I'm derelict for games that I did not put on here. But based on the rules, I couldn't. They couldn't have been previously mentioned. So Doug, I don't think you will ever be associated with being derelict with games, okay? To my right are over 300 games. Behind me, I'm looking at... 40 kids' games. <laughs> to my left All right, are that's over enough, 100 that's card games. I'm telling the truth here, people. Tell right. me how you're derelict now. Bring well, it. Well, no, because was it last week or the week? No, the week before we did uh, IP games. Yeah, famous that was fun. IP, famous IP games. So a lot of those are are found at big box stores, and some of them That's would have I made would have made my list. But here we're getting into a a little bit of a, a different subject. So number five. Well, let's define our terms here real quick because we do have listeners worldwide. What do we mean by a big box store here in, in America? We're talking about your Walmarts, your Targets, that type of a department store. Yeah. So this would be something that you can go into. You don't need to go into a specialized game store. Yeah. You don't need to go online if you're at Target. And in 2021, these games are available. If you're yep. listening in 2024, I can't help you. I'm sorry, but nope. right now they're available. Yeah. All right. Yep. Okay, and they were not mentioned on the previous high five list. So number five I have is Spot It. Mm. So this is a... My kids love this game. Yeah, I got caught in a little bit of a rabbit hole on this one because I wanted to try and figure out how the math works on this. Why? And my brain kind of exploded. I hate this game. No, I just meant I wanted to find out the mathematics of how... So in Spot... No, I hate this game. Go ahead. You want to but, describe it? But you but you just said your kids love it, though, right? Yeah, you get destroyed. Okay. The colors, okay. absolutely. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Well, I can understand that. So in Spot It, you are flipping over a card and then another card, and there is always one item. It's either a letter or, depending on, there's different versions. You can get it in. We have a frozen version here. 
Um, and then there's a regular one. There's animal ones. But there's one either symbol, letter, picture that is the same on both cards. Yep. And you just keep going through the deck. And there's, change, but they're different sizes, so you yep. have to find that. Yep. And and there, there's always a match to some other card. And so one time I wanted to look, like, how does that math work? How is it oh. possible that I can flip over a card and there's always a match on the other one? And I got into this rabbit hole of mathematical problems that What'd I What did you find, Alchemides? Yeah, I could not comprehend how it was figured out but it was something it started with some concept of of bringing like people to a party and like nine different people to a party and how many different combinations of party people can you make without the same person going with the same person a second time it was really bizarre uh and way over i don't have a doctorate so i didn't understand it Uh, i wouldn't Um, either i don't have that kind of doctorate. so spot it uh my kids enjoy it i think it's a nice little uh Nice, quick game, and um, I, the whole family can be in on it. So. Oh, absolutely, and it's one that travels well. Um, when my youngest was three, she just would absolutely destroy me, and this was when, in limited vocabulary. I mean, early as a three-year-old, she would just point to it and say, that one, that one, that one, and she would just collect one card after another after another because when you get the card right, you get that card. Yep, yep. And so it's one of those things where halfway through the game, if their stack is eight <laughs> times bigger than my stack, like if I'm holding two cards, it's like, okay, I'm done. You're not Go winning ahead. that one. No, no. So that's number That's four. a good call, Doug. All right, number four is code names. Uh, code names is, uh, for some reason, always gets put into a, the party game category. I don't know it's that much of a party, party game. There's a lot of thinking that goes on in code names. Uh, it's a team game. And so, say Michael and I are on a team playing against our wives. There's a grid of 20, 18, 20 cards with words on them. Okay. And, and I'm looking in, in, at a, a sheet here. I'm the clue giver. Half of those words are, are my words, half of those are my opponent's words. And then there's a couple of them that are neutral words. And there's one assassin, assassin word. And so I'm trying to get my teammate to guess which words are ours. And I can only say a a one-word clue, and then I give a number. So I could say banana two. That means that there are two cards in the board that I think have something to do with a banana that Michael is now going to try and guess those words. If he flips over the assassin, we immediately lose. If he flips over one of our opponent's cards, good for them. And so you're trying to be the first team to flip over all of your cards. Uh, you can play it in a large group. It's a it's a team game, and it is kind of interesting when you have a, a you know say three people on a team with one clue giver, and the the two people are discussing back and forth what I really meant by yeah. banana two. There's there's a fun element to that, but like the idea of a party game to me is one where everybody's laughing and have, <laughs> having a good yeah exactly like this that. This is that next step. Yeah, up. that's how we laugh when we play party <laughs> no, games. <okay. laughs> Banana two, that was delightful. Easy, Doug. I'm gonna walk <laughs> out of here. What you like this game though? Tell tell us a little bit more. I mean, you have eight versions. I, you uh, you got the Simpsons version. You've got this box that there, talk won't about, fit into my car yeah, version. So, <laughs> Look talk, at that box. Talk about uh, re-theming. You know, they can they can slap new pictures on it and, and reskin it. Um, How long does a game take to play typically? If you're playing, you I would say 20 15 minutes, minutes, fifteen minutes, yeah, fifteen yeah. twenty minutes. So good. I think it's a it's an interesting puzzle. Good word game. Good. I haven't played it with too many younger people, but I'd be curious to see how. And I would caution you on the Disney one that, yes, it's a Disney theme. But you have to know a lot about Disney to play it, right? Mm, No. It's it's difficult because some of the words that you could use in a regular code uh, code names game, such as like you could say Princess 3. You can't really do that because there might be six princesses on the ah. board, and there, a lot of the stories overlap. So it sometimes sure. it can be a little tricky to give a clue that covers multiple cards at yeah. once. I'm, um, so I'm it waiting. might not be for the the younger age that you might think it would be. 
But there seems to be a code name to fit your theme of choice. I would think so. Yeah, I, there's a Marvel. There's Harry Potter. Harry I'm Potter, waiting until yep. that one crosses my path to add that to my collection. I don't know code names yet. But okay. It, uh, all right. So moving on to number three, I have Quicks. Have you ever played Quicks? I'm familiar with it. Go ahead. All right. So Some dice rolling, right? Yeah. A player's rolling. Uh, I think there's four colors. Four colors. You're rolling dice. Uh, the person that rolled, the, there's also one white die. The player rolling can take advantage of the white die and combine it with another color. And you're basically, it's a it's a roll and write game, which means you're rolling dice and then filling in your own personal player sheet. Two of the colors are going up uh, in ascending order. Two of the colors are going in descending order. You're moving across the board from left to right. And so say I add a an 11 on blue, and then I add an 8, I cross that off, that means I can't put anything in the 9 or 10 spot. So you're kind of balancing how how many how X's, far you can go on how many X's yeah. you can get without, you know, being way behind. So it's, uh, I played that with the, the girls, they they like that one, and I, I enjoy it too. It's, that's another one that, that can be played with grandmas and grandpas. Yeah, and I, I want to hold because I don't want to give away your possible two or one, but that company, Game Right, they the company that makes Quicks, and it's Q and then W-I-X-X, Q-W-I-X-X. That's the, the game. Um, they just make a lot of fantastic games for kids. Yep. yep. Um, so I, I want to hold 30 seconds and then add on a game at the end if we haven't gotten to it. All right, so... One of the things too that I was looking for while I was playing this or making this list is I wanted to have a wide range of skills and and players. Um, so I wanted something that you could play with the 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 little kids, with your grandparents, and in between, and then some games. some ad, some games, you know, some advanced games. So number two I have is Seven Wonders. Oh yeah, which is I don't know if it's at Walmart, but it's certainly at Target. Um, it's a card drafting game, so cards are going around the table, and you are adding them to your civilization. You take take on the the role of one of the seven wonders. So maybe you have the the you know the great pyramids of Giza, and you are adding resources, building up your military. It's somewhat abstract in the way that it's done, but great drafting game. And uh, you'll probably hear a little bit about that one in the future as we go along, company-wise. Yeah, no, that's that's a lot of fun, and that that's a bigger game. Yeah, and the other the nice thing about Seven Wonders too, which this will definitely come up as a recommended game in the future. But one of the best parts about this game is, a, it plays up to seven people. The other part is that even if you add seven people, the game length is essentially the same. Yeah. So a lot of times as you add more players, it's like, oh, well, now it's going to be a four-hour game because we've got to wait for every... Everybody's turn is happening simultaneously, whether you have three players or seven, and you're only interacting with the people next to you. So it's a really nice advantage of that game that you can play seven people, and it's still only going to take a half hour. Yeah, the caveat, you really need three people to play that game. Otherwise, yes. they do have a two-player game called Seven Wonders Duel, Correct. Yep. Um, which is a lot of fun as well. Yep, and my last one is, can you guess this one? Mm -mm. We talked about it today, Pandemic. How are you going to add that to the high five when we just spent an hour talking about it? Hey, it is one of the best games at a big box store that we recommend that has not been on a high five. Why wouldn't I, I put that on the, the list? I the text message. I, did, I, did I say that has not been on a high five or that we haven't talked about? That it hasn't been on a high five previous high All five right. list. All right. Yep. But go ahead. Pandemic. Well, I don't need answer. to add anything to no. it. We we discussed it, but that's one of the you know, you know one of the best games that you can get at yeah. at a, a big box store that I feel like hits on all 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 cylinders. And I, I didn't. I'm gonna go to a route for this one where we don't usually um, go to here. As I just take a note on pandemic. With the big, bo big box, I'm going to talk about prices, all right, people? We don't usually get into prices because they fluctuate like the stock market, man. It goes up and down. But right now, I just did a real-time check as Doug was talking about these games. The first three games, spot it, $7.89. Codenames, $14.89. 
Quicks, $8. Now, Seven Wonders and Pandemic were definitely more on the expensive side. Seven Wonders right now is at $47, and Pandemic is at $40. Now, here's what, what I'm saying about that. These games go on sale. So if you're somebody who, who is on a budget, you know, and, and if maybe you're somebody who has a, a collection of 10 to 15 games and you just add one or two games a year, those big box stores are a great place to just keep an eye on sales because every time you're walking by, you you know where the game is. So, okay, I want to get Pandemic, but I'm going to wait till it goes down to $24.99 or I'm going to wait till this or that. There's a nice piece about the big box stores just knowing that the game is always there and just doing a quick price check. Um, and like I said, those first three games that Doug talked about, you could walk home with three games for under $30. That's a lot less than going to a movie or taking the family out to ice cream at most of, of the ice cream stores. Yeah, well, and you th- yeah, I mean, even when you get into Pandemic and Seven Wonders and you're looking at that $40 range, you got to, like I said earlier, you got to think about these as, a, as an entree. Yeah. You know, that's a, a game night of activity. and you For think, years. Yeah, you think you can get, if you can get six people around a table... For $45, $40 with Seven Wonders, how much does it cost to go to a movie? Yeah. That's like no, $400. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and other things that, that you subscribe to in, in, in your, your Netflix, you know what I mean? So if you put it into to your scale, or I'm not going to tell people how to do personal finance. That's not what I'm saying. And we don't usually get into the prices of games because some of them can go way up. What I'm saying is, the big box store brings a consistency where you can then kind of pick and choose um, and you know that they're going to be there. I asked for 30 seconds for quicks. I know I've talked about Sleeping Queens in the past, but whenever <laughs> Game Right is brought up, uh, still continues to be a favorite in our house, card-playing game where you have, um, I believe it's eight or ten queens to, to choose from, and you're trying to, to wake up the queens and put them in, in your tableau. Um, Game right is just one of those companies that I'm so glad that the big box stores carry uh, some of their games and you don't have to go search for them online. If you like what you heard today, consider subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving a review, but only if you plan on leaving a five-star review. Take a screenshot of your review and send it to us at GameSchoolerU, and, and maybe we'll work something out for you. And follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU to stay up to date and learn about what's around the corner. You can download your free copy of Naming a Virus today at GameSchooler.com, where we have a full database of our recommended games, along with new skill builders, subject builders, and discussion guides dropping all the time. So on behalf of Michael and myself, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now get out there and start game schooling. Turn